Hey everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. I'm Mark Ice, your host, and once again, another uh, not too fun game to talk about. Uh, this will be somewhat similar to my podcast from yesterday or from um, Tuesday night after that seven to four loss to the Panthers. But Sabers lost five to one tonight to the Flyers in Philly. Um, Another rough loss to watch, and the the second period especially was was terrible. Um, but overall, they they weren't really. It wasn't like the ice was tilted in Philly's favor, and Philly was constantly hemming the Sabers in their own zone. It seemed like the more egregious defensive breakdowns were committed by the Sabers, and the the, the better chances, the best chances were had by Philly, but the Sabres had their fair share of chances, and I thought they played, if not even, or if not out, if they didn't outplay Philly in the first and third period, it was at least even between the two. So, really the score was worse than the game indicated, but Robin Leonard really didn't step up and, and make any big saves. And four of the five goals, I'm not going to blame him on. They're not they were saves. You would love to see a starting goalie make at least a couple of those saves, not let in all four of those goals, but they were all very high-quality chances, so I can't necessarily blame him for four of those five goals. It was the third goal that was that was pretty bad that he, he should have had. He had the angle and just got beat. Um, but Steve Mason was very good on the other end, and the Sabres, I believe I saw the number, was a plus 48 or 49 Corsi. I know Corsi doesn't tell the whole story. He doesn't tell the story of quality of chances necessarily. But the Sabres had their chances. Um, they were nothing incredibly prime that really stands out. But you could think of Justin Bailey had a few really nice chances around the net. Uh, the Sabres had a bunch of power plays. Obviously, that factored into the to the to the very high positive Corsi number. But I'll get into that more later. So, like I said, Leonard. Did not really have a have a good game, pretty pretty poor game, and we're really seeing we've seen all the sides of of Robin Leonard that that have been seen throughout his NHL career so far when he was in Ottawa. So, what did he do when he was in Ottawa? He fought injuries, he had some hot streaks with incredible numbers, and then some very cold streaks with extremely bad numbers. And what has he done in his first season in Buffalo? He was hurt for a very long time. He went on a hot streak for his first six games back, six or seven games back, and then now he's out on a very cold streak over the last couple games. So we're already seeing two-thirds of the way through his first season everything that's been told to us about him that we've seen following Ottawa, if any Buffalo fans follow Ottawa, I tend to follow the divisional teams more closely than other teams around the NHL. So I'd kind of known about this, known about his situation, his career for a while before he came here. And basically, you're not necessarily seeing any evidence that that's changing. And I know he's still still a very young goalie. Um, But right now, to give up a first round pick for somebody that basically you need them you need him to overcome two big things, his tendency to get injured and his glaring cons- consistency issues. If he can smooth both of, both of those things out, if he can stay healthy and he can become more consistent, he could be great, but it's a huge if. And I'm just 
surprised, and I've said this, I've said this even after games where Leonard's done well. I, I want him to do well, but I am never going to like that they gave up a first-round pick for him. And really, even if he becomes very good, I'm still not going to like that Murray gave up a first-round pick for him because I just thought it was bad value at the time. And it, when you're evaluating trades, in the vast majority of cases, I think you cannot evaluate them based on what happens necessarily. You have to look back in time at what the value was at that time. And sometimes things happen. Sometimes things work out Trades are bad value-wise, and they end up working out because somebody gets lucky, a GM gets lucky. But you've got to look at you've got to look at what things were like when the trade was actually made. And I think that there was an overpayment for who was on the goaltender market for the situation that Ottawa was in. Um, and I'm I'm always going to feel that way, really, regardless of how Leonard comes out, how he turns out, and how he develops over these next couple years. I hope he can become a good number one. He's got every opportunity in, in in the world to become the number one in Buffalo, but it's still concerning, and you, you haven't really seen any growth or development from where he was during his time in Ottawa. It obviously hasn't helped, and the defense has, has really struggled, and they struggled again tonight, and it's not just the defense, but it's really the, the team defense. It's the, the forwards are struggling, too. To get back, several of the goals had to do with forwards just getting beat or not being in the right spot, picking up the right guy. Um, I know Gianta was guilty on the first goal. I believe it was Gianta on the first goal. O'Reilly, I would say, was guilty on the second goal. Of um, Gianta just got beat. O'Reilly kind of swiped and went toward the, the puck carrier, even though the defenseman had already drifted toward him rather than picking up the the third man into the play that ended up scoring the goal. Um, and then Reinhardt got beat in a foot race on the um, the goal right before the, the Gudis-Felino fight, which is the, the fourth goal, I believe. But it's... It's both the forwards doing a doing a poor job getting back, and the def, the defense is even more to blame. It has been more to blame recently. Um, I don't want to harp on it again because I talked about him a lot in my podcast on Tuesday, but Georges was was bad again tonight, and I think he I think he if you're looking at everybody, he's struggling the most. Um, just he doesn't he, he does not have it anymore. He doesn't have the skating anymore. He struggles with the puck on his stick and I think you're really starting to see him fade fade away as a decent NHLer. And I talked about it on Tuesday, but it would be great I think if if uh, Murray can find a team that that believes in him that they believes that he can serve a purpose in a playoff run this year and if he can pawn him off, I guess, on onto somebody else and get out of those next two years on his contract. I don't think it's going to happen because all these teams have pro scouts that are watching these games and they see what what I'm seeing and what, what we're seeing. But if there's a GM out there that, that will take him, I think that would be great. As much as I respect what the guy's done in his career, I, I think if you can get out of that, that money over the next couple of years, you go ahead and do it. Um, Really, Ristolainen still looks tired. Uh, he he didn't have a great game. I think that the Pesic Bogosian pairing really struggled. 
once again. I didn't mind the McCabe-Franson pairing. Obviously, they benefit from better matchups and from lower expectations for me and from other fans. So I'm going to be harder on those top two pairings, of course, and and more critical. And then at the same time, they're going to be playing tougher matchups, so that they're going to be exposed more often when they're struggling. But I thought those those top two pairings, which are most important, struggle the most. And it's just really tough to win in this league when, when you can't count on your defense night to night. And you're seeing that with the Sabres team. This defense is wildly inconsistent. They're very dependent on a couple guys. And they're very shallow. And it's a pretty bad combination when you have all those things working against you at once. And when one or two players start to struggle, your entire unit goes downhill. You don't have other players there that can really step up. So that's pretty disappointing. Um, I'll try not to be entirely depressing on this, but it's hard after a 5-1 to one loss to be too positive. I did think it was great to see Justin Bailey with a nice debut and... Basically, when he was drafted, and since he's been drafted, he was always a boomer bust type of prospect, where he had that top six upside with all the tools, but the question was really if he would ever be able to put it all together. And I think he's exceeded all my expectations, and he's at a much faster ascension than I would have ever expected. I, I didn't expect him to be able to put together the type of production he put up recently in Rochester. I believe it was 11 points in his last eight games before this call-up. And I definitely didn't expect him to get any NHL time this year, Barring, you know, barring serious injuries or, you know, four guys getting traded at the deadline and they need bodies up here. But I didn't expect him to kind of earn a spot. I know injuries play a role because Ennis is out, Larson's out, Gergensen's is out. And so that obviously plays a role in why he got a chance. If all those guys were healthy, he wouldn't have been up here until maybe after the trade deadline. But with his play in Rochester recently, he's deserved it. And... He really looked like he fit in tonight, and they badly need skilled wingers. And you saw him getting a lot of time with with O'Reilly, which is great. I think give him give him a run there until you start to get more of these guys back. Maybe you have to send him back, but I think McGinn will eventually get traded. You may see Leguan traded, uh, so there will be some forward spots here later in the year. And I think so far of all the guys that have come up, Bailey's looked Bailey's had the best debut, and he's looked the most like he has the talent to be. A long-term NHLer. The coverage are so bare for forward prospects in this pipeline after how many different prospects and picks were traded for, basically for O'Reilly and for and in the in the uh, Evander Kane deal. But so if he can really pan out, I think that helps a lot. If he can get another top nine or best case top six type forward out of him, that would be incredible. And I think he's he's got all the tools. He he's got you can tell he's got the size, he's got the speed. He was really willing to get into the dirty areas tonight. Uh, and he works hard. And if he can keep that up, I think there is gonna be a place for him in this lineup down the stretch and into next year if he can if he can put something together. Um I thought another thing that that was great about him and in Catanachi as well being up here, but they've both brought some needed speed to the lineup. And I think that's been one of the Sabres' biggest issues. This year, they've, it's been better than in the past couple of years with adding Eichel to the mix, adding Kane to the mix, both very fast guys. But the team still isn't fast. And I think being a good skating team is more important now than it's been 
just about any time in in NHL history. You know, maybe coming out of the lockout, it was more important at that time, uh, with less obstruction being called, or with with more obstruction being called, and speed being even more important due to that. And now you've kind of devolved a bit more back into a more trapping type of slower paced game but skating now that's one thing that can set you apart and you can't get away with having a bunch of below average skaters on your team and the Sabres still do have quite a few of those those types of of players on the team so to have guys like that that can come up and can bring can bring a sort of spark in terms of speed was was pretty nice um now that I mentioned Cadenacci, I've got to talk about the the Gudis hit, and you know this may make a lot of Sabres fans mad, but I really didn't have a problem with it. I didn't think it was that bad. The only the only question mark I have about it is you probably shouldn't do that in a in a five to one game late because you're just kind of asking to to spark something and to to now have people out there saying that you're dirty and. The league office will take a closer look at it because of that. Obviously, because he's a he's because he's a repeat offender. This would have been looked at no matter when it happened in the game. But if you watch it, the reason why he why he struggled off the ice and why he why you know it looked like he may have a concussion is because he hit his head on the ice. If you look at where Gudis hit him, it wasn't in the head. It was in the it was in the upper body, but it was more in the chest. And it was like a shoulder to, 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 to chest, shoulder to shoulder type of type of hit. He, it did not look like he got him right in the head to me. I mean, if there's another angle that I didn't see, that may be different. But I think I think when you automatically label those types of hits as dirty without really watching them, just because it's a big hit in the neutral zone, the guy was kind of you know Catanacci was tied up with the Philly defender. I think it's reactive, and I think. It's all about trade-offs when you when you have these kind of discussions. And I think I like the NHL where you need to have your head up in the neutral zone and you need to be a little bit scared. And I don't want to see guys get hurt. I hope Catanacci's okay, obviously. Um, I don't wish anybody to get hurt. I don't like seeing players get hurt. But I think that having a little bit of fear in the neutral zone is one of my favorite things about hockey. You know, seeing somebody being there and, and, and seeing guys shy away from the contact and and having to think twice about, about coming into your territory. You know, there's something maybe primal about that, um, but that's one of the things that, that I liked most about hockey, watching it growing up. And obviously there can be a fine line between that and dirty late hits, elbows to the head, things like that. But I think, I don't think this is a suspendable hit. He probably will get suspended because he's targeting and because of who he is. But I think Catanacci, you can't put yourself in that position in in the neutral zone. You just can't. And I think you should be expecting to get hit. And it wasn't helmet to helmet. It wasn't late. I didn't think he charged. He didn't take extra strides. It was just because it, it looked bad that that penalty was called, in my opinion. Um, and I know probably the vast majority of Sabres fans don't agree with me. I've been reading what people are saying online about it and people are saying he should be getting suspended five games or more. And I tend to have the opinion on a lot of these hits that they're, that they're not dirty as dirty as everyone says. But I think we just need to think about when we have these kind of discussions, you know, 
is it worth the huge trade-off by placing huge suspensions on these hits that there just isn't hitting anymore, or there's very little hitting, no open ice hitting, and I that's part of the game that I, I want to stay around. Like I said, I don't want players to get hurt. That's not the reason why I want it to stay around, because, but because I want a game where you've got to think twice about coming into... I'll use my team as an example, but to come into my team's territory. Gudis, I would take him on on my team any day as a, as a number six defenseman. Uh, I think, yes, he can cross the line sometimes, and maybe that can hurt you here and there. But I think to instill that little bit of fear in the opponent, I think it's important. And the Sabres really haven't had that guy in a long time. Bogosian can, can be can be a bit like that every now and then. People seem to think Ristolainen is that way. I don't think he's I don't think he's that way at all. Yes, he'll he'll get physical when he needs to be, but I've seen people trying to compare him to a young Chris Pronger. I, I don't see that whatsoever. He's not gonna be anybody that ever really makes anybody pay beyond, you know, being physical along the boards, but not you know, not big open ice hits, not doing borderline dirty things, which I think if you're comparing somebody to Pronger, they kind of need to do. You need to push the envelope sometimes, and you're going to piss people off sometimes. It's inevitable when you're that type of player, and that's what Gudis does. But I would love to. I would love to see the Sabers have a guy like that as their as their number six. You know, not somebody they need to depend on, and maybe you can try to get them to rein it in a little bit. But I don't think they have it, and I think they need it. And that, along with speed, which I just talked about, I think those are thing, both things that they need. And that draws me into, or leads me into, what I wanted to say about this team just not having an identity. And they're just, they're just a bad team, and they, they're basically a bad team that just tries to keep the game close. But they don't have an identity. They're not a team that's going to go out and try to out physical you every night. Going to try to hit you, and you know, try to beat you into submission. They're not that type of team. They're not the team that's going to out try to outskate you every night. Um, they're not a team with where the defensemen are ultra aggressive. They're, you know, they're just a team that tries to limit what the other team can do on the score sheet and keep games close. And they do come back sometimes, which I guess maybe is part of their identity is they they don't give up. But when you don't have an identity and you don't have a ton of talent, they do have a lot more talent than they've had over the last couple of years. It's it's very it can be very bland to watch, and I think they've been bland to watch for the majority of this year. It has been fun to watch, you know, Eichel and Reinhardt in their first seasons in the NHL, O'Reilly in his first season in Buffalo, Kane's been fun to watch at times, Ristolainen seeing him develop, that's been fun. But in terms of the, the style of hockey that they play, I think it's it's bland and pretty unexciting. So I hope they can start to develop that over these next couple of years. I don't think really down the stretch with... You're probably going to have a lot of placeholders in this lineup when a few guys get dealt out at the trade deadline. I don't think this is really the time when you're going to see an identity form unless they start to go on some sort of run, which would shock me. But that's something they really need to do over these over these next couple of years. Um, the Sabres now, after tonight, they sit at 29th in the league. So only Toronto is behind them in 30th right now. And Toronto has two two games in hand, and they're one point behind the Sabres. Columbus leapfrogged over 
over the Sabres, and Edmonton also leapfrogged over the Sabres. And McDavid had five points tonight against the, the Leafs, which is pretty incredible. And he's People are already talking about him like he may be the best player in the league, which if he isn't now, he, he probably will be very soon. So I can't see Edmonton being in that bottom three group. I, I, I talked about this in, the, in uh, Tuesday night's podcast after the Panthers game, but I think it's going to be a race between Columbus, Buffalo, and Toronto. And Toronto's going to sell off a lot of pieces at the deadline. The Sabres are going to sell off a couple, but Toronto has a lot of expiring deals, a lot of vets that they're going to try to get second, third, fourth round picks back for and just try to stockpile. Um, not dissimilar to what the Sabres have done over the last couple of years. So I think it's going to be hard to out-tank them. But the Sabres are in a really good position to get one of these, hopefully get one of these top five prospects, which would be great. And I don't expect the Sabres to win the lottery. They never really seem to get lucky that way. But it's a good position to be in. They're going to be able to add another very high-level prospect to this pool and very likely somebody that can step right in next year. And whether it's a winger or defenseman, or if they somehow get Austin Matthews, I think any of those will greatly help this team. They they can still use another high-impact talent like that. I think they they need another high-impact talent like that if they want to contend sooner rather than later. So that'll be interesting to watch. I'm really on tank watch now. I'm not rooting for them to lose, but I am going to be following the standings and following those other teams around them, and a, a loss isn't going to break my heart. Um, so the Sabres are back home to play Montreal tomorrow night, Friday night, and it's going to be one of the, well, the worst home team in the league against what has recently been the worst road team in the league. And Montreal's really struggled recently. They have won their last three games in a row, but over a two-month stretch, they were 5-20-1, which is like last year Sabres in January type bad over that stretch. Um, so they do have some momentum with these with these three wins in a row, but they're really on the far fringes of the playoff race. They don't look like they're going to make it, and their goaltending is shoddy, and obviously they're, they're, they're so dependent on, on Carey Price, and he's been really the, the primary reason why they've been relevant in recent years. But with, with him gone, having to now depend on the forward lineup and the and the defensemen, they, they just haven't been there. And I think maybe they can go on, on some sort of run here because they do have quite a bit of talent, both offensively and defensively. But I think they've got our, they're completely reshaping their game to have to try to play without having the best goalie in the league behind them. In the, uh, in the past stretch of games, Plakanich, Galchenyuk, and Gallagher – have really been carrying the offensive burden for them. And during that same stretch, Pacioretty and Dayarnay have both been very cold. So we'll see if those trends continue against the Sabres. It'll be interesting to see if the terrible home team or the terrible road team can can pull it out. It's always nice to beat Montreal, so I'd like to come out with the win against them. Uh, I'd expect Chad Johnson to get the nod tomorrow. Uh, we'll see, though. I don't think they're going to go back to Leonard after back-to-back 
tough games and especially now a back-to-back you know home and road uh, stretch here so that should be an interesting game to see to see who can who can pull this one out Thank you once again, as always, for listening, and uh, be sure to let me know any anything you'd like me to talk about. Um, I hope I haven't alienated any listeners by giving my opinion on the Gudis hit. I think that's going to be pretty pretty rare amongst Buffalo fans, but I've really had the same opinion of, of a lot of the borderline hits in recent years, and I just think we need to think about the, the, the trade-offs that we'd be making by suspending these hits like crazy, like some people seem to want to do, suspend them for 10-plus games. I think it's just sending sending the wrong message, and too, it's too harsh of a punishment where you're going to deter all open ice hitting. But anyways, thank you so much for listening, and um, I will talk to you tomorrow night.